The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Let's talk about the patriarchs as it's on the screen. That's to remind me. Talk about the patriarchs. Now, we have been looking at the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the patriarchs. They are the fathers of our faith. And as you read the Bible, sometimes you hear of people talking of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're referring to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're referring to these three men. And these three men in their lives and the things that they do, really the things they encounter, the things that they walk with, they are a primary example of what the rest of the Bible is about. We see acts of salvation. Remember last week William talked about Isaac and he talked about how that Abraham was about to kill Isaac and just as he was about to kill him, then there's a ram. The Lord himself will provide a sacrifice. Did he not do that in Jesus? So we see that action being exemplified later in Scripture. But we also see the utter obedience that Abraham actually was given to. Even if you're asking me to kill this son, this son of the promise, this only son that has been given to me, even if you're asking him to kill, even if you're asking me to kill him, I will because I believe that you are able to raise him from the dead. And Isaac was this boy that was brought up by Abraham, brought up in the ways of God. You know what God said to Abraham in Genesis 18 verse 19? For I have chosen him, that is Abraham, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So Abraham was instructed, you've got to bring up your children in the ways of the Lord. And that's what he did. And we see that in the life of Isaac, as William again mentioned last week, because when Isaac got married, and he got married at 40 years of age, not a young man, he got married at 40 years of age. He got married to Rebecca. But you know what? After 19 years of marriage, he realized, well, I think it's probably before then, but he realized that my wife's barren. We've got no children. Now, I hadn't quite looked at it in length of, ter- in length of the terms of time that it was actually spent. But Abraham, uh, Isaac gets married at 40, but they don't have their sons until he is 60. That's 20 years later. We just look over these things because that's within a few verses that you've read that. And because he had children, oh, everything's all right. What about the 19 years? Should we stop and talk about the 19 years when we got happily married with the expectation of children, with the expectation that life was going to be the same for us as it was for everybody else, with that expectation, but nothing seems to be happening. We don't really talk about that. But that was Isaac's life. And I think, as I'm reading this, why is God seemingly so unfair? Why did he make that happen to him? Well, so that everybody who's going through it now can also be encouraged. You know what? Children, listen to this, children are a gift, not a right. That's what we learn from this. Children are a gift. So when that screaming or, you know, whatever's happening, and I'm talking about a (laughs) 16-year-old, is happening in the middle of the night, or those frustrations you feel, 
Just remember, just remember they're a gift. And ask God at that moment again for fresh grace, fresh mercy to deal with your youngsters, your teenagers, your children, your young children. Isaac, it says though, prayed to the Lord. And you see, he had learned something from his dad. He had learned something from the way he'd been brought up. Because what happened was that Isaac brought the situation of barrenness and prayed to the Lord. And we read in Genesis 25, verse 21, and um, I know I'm talking about Isaac, but actually this morning, I'm introducing the subject of Jacob. I didn't say that. So we're talking about Jacob, even though I'm talking about Isaac, his dad, because in effect, it's the whole family. They're all connected, so I can freely move across from Abraham to Jacob in this whole message, and we'll continue to do so, but don't forget the focus is supposed to be on Jacob, so we will get there. But nevertheless, Isaac, he is following in the ways of his dad, Abraham, and in this situation, it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. Thank God. It doesn't say, incidentally, how long he prayed. Was it for 19 years? Was he displaying the same type of faith that he had learnt from his father, that you have to persist? Because his father was 25 years working out the issue of having had Isaac. Hello, can you hear these things? Because we tend to brush them apart. Our life, I want it sorted in five minutes. I've got a problem, I need it sorted today. I've got another situation, it must be sorted by tomorrow. I haven't got any patience, why should I have patience? Everything happens quickly in this world, and it should happen quickly before me. Come on God, answer my prayers. That isn't what I'm talking about. That isn't what we see in the scripture. We see men of God having to wrestle with God for years. Now, I'm not saying, oh, God, please keep these people in their problems for years. I want you all to be delivered and all to be set free. But there again, I'm not God. And only he knows what is right for all of us. So we're looking to him, not to any other person or man. But here, Isaac has prayed and the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Genesis 25 verse 22 then says this, because now she's pregnant, now we're looking at the situation of her pregnancy, and it says the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now that's interesting, isn't it? She'd learned something from her husband. She'd learned something together with him. Maybe they had been praying together. Maybe it was that Isaac had been leading family prayers and they had been praying continually that they might have children. But suddenly she hasn't just got children. And don't forget, she knew she got something inside, got a baby, but this is babies. Babies. So she's got two of them and they're jostling around. Now, you know what the Hebrew understanding is this. They dashed against each other or bruised each other. There was a violent agitation. So it's more than just like, oh, the baby's heel moved. Oh, the baby's, I felt something move within me. This is a fight going on inside. So she's thinking, like, my goodness. Now, I don't know what her frame of reference is. She's not been pregnant before. But you see, you don't talk about, well, there are other ladies in the neighborhood who are pregnant. And perhaps they would understand when somebody's got one or whether they've got more than one baby within them. This is, and this is the first time twins have been mentioned. I don't know. I'm just pointing out that we take a lot for granted when we come to the scriptures. But she knows something. There's a war going on inside. And so it says, she inquires, what's happening to me? And you know what? The idea of that saying, what's happening to me, is something like this. If I must suffer in this way, why did I ever wish to have a child? 
That's more the emphasis of what she's saying. And you know what? When I read that, I think, that makes more sense to me. This dear woman's waited 19 years to get pregnant. Now she's pregnant, and she's probably quite large because there's two babies in there, and there's a fight going on inside here, in her womb, in her tummy, and everything's moving around, and she's saying, oh, for goodness sake, why on earth did I want to get pregnant like this? Because there's disturbance. Doesn't that sound much more normal rather than spiritual? Yes, it does. Because that's the sort of things that we go through. That's the sort of reactions that we have, the sort of questions that come, what's going on? Anyway, she takes this what's going on to God. And when it says she actually went to inquire of the Lord, I was reading a commentary and it said this. I found it so interesting. Did she go to Melchizedek? It's not just necessarily that she went and prayed. Do you remember Melchizedek, the priest who Abraham went to? Was he still alive because he was the priest of the Lord Most High? Or did she even go to, her, uh, to Abraham himself and say, look, hey, I've got a problem here. Will you help me encounter God in this situation? Because I know that you have encountered God. And I need to know. So maybe it was with somebody. Or maybe it was by herself. But whatever we know, we know that she has received a word from the Lord. And this is what the Lord said. Genesis 25 verse 23. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So she had this prophetic word, this prophetic instruction that came to her about what was going on inside. That's the situation. You're going to have two sons, and they're going to become two nations. Now, when you think about it, this is when you have twins or when you have children, they're part of one family. It's just what you think of. They're our family. But what God is saying is, out of your family, there's going to become two nations. So there's going to have to be a separation because we're creating two nations out of this. See, I'm, nations? What is all this? I'm sure she thought, oh, great. Uh, I don't quite understand it, but I will receive something. There's going to become two nations. And of course, those two nations were Israel and Edom, the Israelites and the Edomites. That's eventually what they were. And God also said, the older is going to serve the younger. Now, we need to take note of that word because of what happens next, because it actually seems to drive what happens next in the family. Now, with babies, we always love it when a baby comes. We love it in the church here when there's a new baby around. Everybody gets excited. The last little baby that was the baby now becomes, hey, they're really big. Because suddenly you see a little baby come. Everybody loves it when a baby arrives. And suddenly the babies arrive in this household. So Isaac and Rebecca, I don't think who I'm talking about now. Isaac and Rebecca, they have the blessing of having two sons. And it says in 25 verse 24, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. Don't forget, they didn't have a scan. There's no 20-week scan or whatever it is in this. Okay, there's probably somebody, a midwife of the village who feels your tummy. That's probably about as, I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing on that, but I'm pretty certain there wasn't scans. Unless somebody comes up with the, you know, 200 BC or whatever it was scanner, then we'll just live with the fact that it was the midwife of the village. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, 
and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his heel, grasping hold of Esau, grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So we've got this picture of this birth. And one of them, basically, one of them is a redhead. Okay? So all of those things that sometimes get spoken of, and if anybody has red hair, I love red hair. In fact, everybody, Sam, you're there? You've got slight red hair? In fact, let's celebrate red hair and in this place. But there's probably a lot of colored hair as well, so not all of it is natural. So these days, we don't always know what's right for hair colors, but I won't go into that because I feel the depth of the water that I'm coming to. So, moving swiftly on, what we do know is that there was red hair. In fact, he's obviously covered in a sort of a down, and it's all sort of reddish, so that's why he was called uh, Esau, because Esau probably means hairy, but he was also known as Edom, because Edom in Hebrew means red. So basically, he's just being called the red ones. That's what he's being called. The Edomites are the red ones. So there's a whole tribe of Edomites going to come from this boy. But he came out, he was red, his whole body was hairy, and his brother... Jacob is named Jacob because he was seen to be holding on to his, brother, his brother's heel. And in Hebrew, that means that if you're holding on to somebody's heel, it's this idea that you're going to supplant them. You're going to overthrow them. You're going to trip them up by their heel. Sometimes it's called about deception. You're going to deceive them. It's not quite the way that we would understand deceive, but it is that sense of you're going to take their place. So that was actually being seen here, and Jacob was given his name because of that. Now, we know that when children grow up, they don't grow up exactly the same. They have different characters, and sure enough, we see with these two boys, and don't forget they're twins. So often you can read about it in Scripture, and you're identifying them by their different names. Oh, Jacob and Esau. But they were twin brothers. Twin brothers. They're basically the same age apart from what? I don't know, a couple of minutes difference. They are the same age. The boys grew up, it says in Genesis 25 verse 27, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we see there's quite a difference between the two. One is the outdoors type. He's always out there. He's chasing after the animals. He's a hunter. He has that uh, skill and ability about him. He's pressing on into the outdoors, and that's what he loves. But Jacob is more of a home bird. And it's not just that he stayed at home and did nothing, but it probably means that he was looking after cattle, things that were around the tents. That's where he was. Completely different characters. Completely different people. Isaac loves... Esau, and Rebekah loves Jacob. Now Esau is the firstborn, as we've heard. And let me just give you a few comments about the firstborn. If I speak fast, you know why. The firstborn, the rights or the privileges of the firstborn, which you see in Scripture in various places, are these. First of all, the, the, the Firstborn son receives a double inheritance from the father. So there's actually an adjustment financially of all that the father owns. Then the firstborn son gets twice as much as any other uh, children. 
So he gets a double portion. And he also receives a special blessing from the father. So there is a privileged position. As the firstborn, you are actually assuming the mantle of the father when the father passes away. So there's a parental responsibility that is coming upon you. And that father will give you a special blessing as you are the firstborn. And you will get a double portion for taking all that responsibility of the inheritance. But also you have a role to act as priest, certainly of the family, to be that one who would lead the family in the way of God and to help the family follow the ways of God. And that certainly happened up until the time when the priesthood was given over to the Levites. Genesis 25 verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. We know that because of the link with Hebrew and the word red. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Why did he say that? Why did he say that? Where does that come from? But you see, if we go back to remember what was spoken to his mum, you begin to realize, actually, those words that were spoken to his mum, out of you are going to come two nations, and the older is going to serve the younger That's been ringing in her mind. That's been part of her thinking. That's been part of her passion for some time now. And it would appear to me that that her son knew that. And if he was going to take that position, in other words, if the older was going to serve the younger, in other words, would that mean that the younger needs to come up over the older? Anyway, here's an opportunity. You're hungry. You're looking for food. Hey, why don't you give me your birthright? That's the only thing I can think of why he's asking this question. Meanwhile, his brother says this. He says, look, I'm about to die, Esau says. So what good is my birthright to me? (laughs) I'm about to pass away. I'm absolutely uh, whacked out. I need something to eat. But Jacob presses on, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. And later on we see in Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews says this, See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Now I think that's referring to the fact that actually there is a spiritual, there is a God-given gift in being the firstborn. There's this blessing to be received, there's this responsibility to be be taken, and there's that leadership, that spiritual leadership, that priesthood of the family to be taken on board, and it would seem, actually, Esau, that you're despising the gifts that have been given to you. It's interesting when we look at this family, and I don't think we're going to have much more time than just to briefly look at this family, but you know, already we can see this isn't the greatest family. You've got mum preferring one son, dad preferring the other. That doesn't usually go down very well, does it, in a family? When it's known that, oh, I'm I'm mum's favourite, I'm dad's favourite. And the children, of course, who know that, like to make it known to their siblings. Just to make sure, by the way, I'm the favourite. I think in our household, somebody might be saying that. And they might not be here this morning. Um, Sometimes they say, oh, I'm mum's favourite. Anyway, it happens. 
It happens that if you get sibling rivalry, you get fighting because mum and dad prefer one over the other. And also you get these situations where you get great jealousy in family. Perhaps I'll just speak from things I might have observed, not necessarily from my own family examples. Okay, so don't consider this to be everything that's happened in my family. I've observed them in other families. Just to put that straight, okay, right up front. But you know what? We see things where actually one of the sisters complains that, oh, they're not quite the same as the other sisters. Because the other sisters are, you know, I, I can't even begin to go on. I'm not, I'm just, it's not about going there. This is the truth. Anyway, switching to brothers, because it's far easier for me to talk about brothers, as I have no brothers. I have no brothers. I do have sisters. Um, in families, what we find is that there is rivalry. There's preferring. Because one's taller than the other, one's fatter than the other, one's thinner than the other, one's more intelligent than the other. Whatever. One's more athletic than the other. One's so good at actually, you know, cricket or football and the others. You know, you know all the things that happen. That's families. But you know what? In this room, all of us will be thinking of reasons about, oh yes, and I remember my sister or my brother or my mum and dad. I remember this from my family. And we, what are we carrying? Do you realize you were created by God and for God and for his purposes? And you know what? That's the same for these two brothers. It's just right at the very beginning, God proclaimed to Rebecca about the two sons who were twins. And one of them just happened to come out a couple of minutes before the other one. And he said that, listen, from your womb, there's going to be two nations. And the older is going to serve the younger. Why? Because I've decreed it. I've made it that way. And yet we go away and we say, oh, it's not fair for me. If only this, if only that. We spend so much of our time with the if-onlys and we're not actually recognizing the fact you are in control and I'm not. But in this world, in our society, what matters in our society or what seems to matter in our society is our position, our greatness, how good we are, how faithful we are, how, how excellent we are at sports. If we're good at sports, we go up a notch. If we're good at this, if we're earning more money, we go up a notch. That's society. It's not God. God says, I love everybody, everyone the same. If you're on the highest salary in here, God loves you. But if you're on the lowest salary on here, God loves you just as much. The most intelligent person, the one with all the degree, decrees, I know, degrees even, <laughs> they decreed a degree. That person, God loves you. But the person who failed every exam and never really made it, in fact, couldn't even put a squiggle on the bottom of the exam paper, God loves you as much. But the pressure from society doesn't say that. Oh, how, how well are you doing? How much have you achieved? And whose voice do we listen to? Do we listen to the voice of the Lord who has declared it? Or are we listening to the voice of society that puts us under other people? God created these two brothers and he has declared, I want it to be this way. He is choosing. And sometimes we think, well, was it fair what he chose? Well, listen, if you have put your trust in Jesus and he's accepted you as your, a son or daughter of his, he has chosen you for salvation. 
He's actually made the same choice, just like we see being worked out here with Jacob and Esau. He's made a same choice for you. I want you in my kingdom. I choose you for myself. We don't feel the specialness enough of that. But we need that specialness to actually come into us somehow, overwhelm us. We're all being given gifts and purposes, and you know what? We need to use the things that we can do for the glory of God. Yours may be completely different from somebody else's. That doesn't matter. Use it for glorifying God. Use your abilities. Every one of us has abilities. Your ability might be that you can stay patient when others lose their temper. Your ability might be that you are highly creative. Your abilities might be that you're highly able to build things or make things or doing maths or computer science or whatever it is. All sorts of different things. You may have a caring heart. You can look after people and are gracious to people. We have gifts. The key thing is, are we despising the gifts that have been given to us or are we using those gifts for the benefit of the kingdom of God and the glory of his name? That's our responsibility. That's our responsibility before God, to use what he has given us for the blessed of God's kingdom and for our ability with him. I'll just say this quickly and then we'll finish. The story goes on, and I'd like you to read it in Genesis 27, because when William preaches next week, he'll be very grateful that you've understood this so he can move into the next part. What happens is, of course, is that Rebecca is wanting to see her son, Jacob, get the birthright, to get that upper hand. And so it comes a time when Isaac, he's getting old. He's actually quite a long way off death, but he doesn't know that. He obviously feels, I can't hear, I can't see. It's getting to the point where I need to think about what lies ahead. Ah, I need to bless my firstborn son. So he says to his son, um, which one? Esau, and sends him out and says, go and get some food. Come back, make me a nice meal, and I'll give you my blessing. Rebecca hears of this. So she hears that. So as soon as Esau's gone out the door, she says to Jacob, quick, this is our opportunity. Get a couple of goats. I'll make up some stew. You're going to go and get the blessing. Jacob feels a bit awkward about it. But nevertheless, he goes along with the story. And you know what? They realize, well, of course, Esau, but he's a hairy man. What am I going to do? I'm different from my brother. I've got smooth skin. So don't worry about that. They put goat skins actually on his forearms. They put Esau's clothes on him. So when he goes into his dad and his dad touches him, he says, oh, you've got the arms of of Esau. And the smell is like Esau, but the voice is like Jacob. Well, that's because it was Jacob. But Jacob went in there pretending to be his brother. And Isaac blesses him. And he gives him the blessing of the firstborn. Interesting. Because a bit later on, in fact, just as that blessing's been given, in comes Esau. Dad, I've got the food for you. I've prepared it all. I've come here to get my blessing. And he says like, what? Who are you? I've just given my blessing. Now, in our day and age, we'd say this. Well, that's easy. I'll cancel that. Don't worry. Oh, that's cancelled. Sorry, God didn't mean that. I'm going to give it to this one. And we would say that's easily done. Isaac said, it's impossible for me to do that. Because once I have decreed the firstborn blessing, it remains over there, him. So Jacob has received it. You can imagine that war breaks out in the household. And not unjustifiably so. 
I'm sure there was a talk, but I, you sold your birthright to me years ago and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, what happens is that mum gets to hear that Esau says this, when dad dies, I'm going to murder my brother. Which is, you know, I mean, you can understand he was upset. And sometimes we say similar things of our own siblings, but we don't always mean that we're going to carry them out. It's just how we deal with situations. I'm going to murder my brother. So mum comes up with a scheme. I hate these women around here. I'm not having my son marry one of these girls. They're no good for my son. My son needs to be sent back to my home. And so Isaac hears about it and he says to his son, listen, your mother's getting upset. So listen, let's do what she says. You need a wife. So we're going to send you back to mum's family and you can go and find a wife there. And so between them, it's orchestrated that Jacob gets sent. And he has now been sent, and this will help to link in hopefully next week. He now gets sent back to Haran, where his mum's family were living. Back there to find a wife. And it's interesting to see what Esau does when he hears about the fact that mum hates the women that are around, the Canaanite women and all that sort of stuff. He goes and marries one. You know what happens in families? Sometimes there's rebellion that comes up. And we don't always understand why that rebellion comes, but often it's because there's been a difficulty. Have you rebelled because of something that happened in your own family? Are you rebelling now? Are you thinking about your brothers and sisters in a bad way because they're a bunch of losers and you're the best? And the only reason you say that is because you need to make sure that you're being lifted up because you never felt valued. I don't know. You know what? We laugh at these things, but we also know it's the truth. And we know that this is what affects us. And it doesn't affect us just for then. It seems to affect us for the years that come afterwards. I want to tell you that there's only one freedom that we can find. And it's by surrendering these things into the hands of God. And allowing him to come into our lives and to change us. We always think it's the others that need to be changed. It's not true. When change starts with God, it always starts with our hearts. Because when our hearts get right, then he can do other things. But until our hearts are right, he can't necessarily change us. I want to challenge you this morning. I don't know what's going on in your family or what has been going on in your family or what could even happen in your family. But I want to say this. God is over all and he has created us for his purposes. And he is for us, not against us. And if we surrender ourselves, give ourselves to him, he can help us to find a way where there seemed to be no way. And to break down barriers and to make changes. Sometimes it takes forgiveness. It's certainly going to take a surrender of our hearts. And it's certainly going to take humility on our behalf. But if we humble ourselves into the hands of a mighty God, he is able to raise us up in due time to accomplish his purposes. Amen. We will hear more about this as the weeks go on.